This is a house where no one should live. Roger Cobb has come here alone. But no one is ever alone in the house. Leave while you can. No! Sandy. Maybe I don't get horror comedy. I think I don't laugh at the horror parts that should be funny, and I think that a lot of times the funny parts are just out of place. House, however, isn't really either of those for me. House and subsequently House 2 were somehow part of this weird kind of ephemeral rotation of Saturday matinees on UHF when I was a kid, and in my memory I have these impressions of the movies. It really was helpful to get a solid grip while watching them as an adult, making sense of the weird fever dreams that would come to me in the night. By the numbers, House was released February 28th, 1986, and runs for 93 minutes on an estimated $3 million budget. Opening weekend was almost $6 million, and gross U.S. was coming up on $19.5 million, which means that this movie was, financially at least, successful. Penned initially by writer-director Fred Decker of Monster Squad, Night of the Creeps, and RoboCop 3 fame, and RoboCop 3 is the one with the ninja. This movie was intended to be a straightforward horror about the horrors of Vietnam, a, a most horrible war. You know, we can see how this comes about as, as the main character is somewhat of a Stephen King analog, who is, is famous for his wild horror stories and has this powerful imagination that dips well into the macabre. Through this, we can have a phase where the character is unsure of whether or not the happenings are happening. It learns that they are happening and then confronts them. This, um, I mean, this still exists in the film, but tonally, the film takes a, a, a shift in some areas. As the movie was made in 85, it's still very close to the later Vietnam years and is in the public consciousness as post-traumatic stress disorder was only in 1980. Uh, codif codified, codified in the medical texts, and I think more than remember or know that uh, a swath of media from the late 70s to probably the late 80s is simply going through and recontextualizing the aftermath of the Vietnam War. This is definitely an example of that. And Roger, our main character in the film, is divorced with a quote-unquote missing child who could be manifestations of being emotionally unavailable or, you know, perhaps more darkly abusive to his family. The movie manifests Roger's inner demons as outer demons and has him confronting literal napalmed skeletons in his closet, as well as being himself the principal character of his novel in progress, which is focused on his personal experience of war. In Decker's original story, which was meant to be a segment in a Twilight Zone-like movie, it was somewhat unclear as to whether it was a ghost or guilt, like the guilt that America was having about the war, that led the character to their untimely end. In my eyes, this is the movie. However, Fred Decker did not write the results in screenplay. 
I mean, maybe I just dig what Fred Decker would call a, quote, pretentious Rod Sterling-esque allegory, but I'm also hosting a podcast about movies. So, I mean, that that tracks. That's That's about right. I am basically my own pretentious allegory. Having handed over the screenplay duties for his story to his friend, Ethan Wiley, who also ended up writing indirectly the mostly entirely unrelated House 2, uh, who made it a comedy. When we talk about House 2, and we will, I am certain that this will make way more sense, and I'll leave the Ethan Wiley talk uh, for then. The movie does shift in tone, and I strongly feel that it affected the casting. The main character, Roger Cobb, the horror writer, is played by William Catt, who some may recognize from The Greatest American Hero, which was something of a goofy 80s superhero show. I'm only peripherally aware of The Greatest American Hero from George Costanza's, George Costanza's outgoing voice message in Seinfeld, so I don't really have a whole lot to say on the subject, but I will say that William Catt is bringing it in this movie. He's well aware of the film that he's in. I don't have much more reference for him, but... In comparing him to an actor from my era, I'd say that he's bringing strong Simon Pegg energy, like big time Simon Pegg vibes, or vice versa, as it would be, you know, because of how, how time works, uh, because it's this movie's older, it, it came out in 86. It is a small cast, so the other notables are George Went, who I am the great Went, right, who just baffles me as he was 37 at the time of filming this movie but was just an old drunk in 270 episodes of Cheers. What a, what, what a chameleon that guy is. Uh, guy just disappears into the role. His character isn't written terribly well, and in general, the screenplay does have some of that 80s plot magic where you must assume some things about the plot to have everything kind of line up, and on occasion, this does you know, manifest itself with the character Harold Gordon's general behavior towards Roger Cobb. It isn't a long movie, but uh, had it been longer, the buddy horror comedy thing might have been developed a little more, and I would have gone for that. But as it stands, Went is definitely doing his part. Richard Mull is actually one of my favorites. I used to watch Night Court as a kid all the time. I don't remember too, too much about it, but uh, Richard Mull's performance as Bull the Bailiff really stands out. He is an imposing 6'8" and he has a hell of a voice. Not only is his presence there, is it intimidating or whatever the case is, but he can emote and he can play parts. He doesn't need to be that character. Second to Night Court, the thing I think about him the most from is his voice acting, specifically as Two-Face in Batman, the animated series, a character with a lot of pathos in, in the voice itself, in the voice acting. Mole's character, similarly as the others, was not terribly nuanced, but his performance really works for me. Mary Staven, the Swedish model and actress who plays the hot neighbor who will leave their child with the random stranger who has just moved in, uh, weird, has actually worked in more than a little bit of English language media and is known for A View to a Kill and Octopussy, two James Bond movies that I'll be getting around to, and also in Twin Peaks, which I talked a little bit about with regards to the show, but mostly the movie on the on the subject podcast link in the show notes small world there's a cameo by the guy that plays the hotel manager in ghostbusters which i absolutely will get around to at some point and there's an appearance by stephen williams as a cop and stephen williams is 
the man who plays X, or Mr. X as I always called him, from the X-Files. I don't want to nitpick, but the plot does take its detours and have all of its machinations to get to, get to the 93-minute runtime from the very short skeleton of the story that it came from. A lot of that takes the form of uh, big-ass gore puppets and costumes doing somewhat slapstick comedy. There's a whole kind of flying tools thing that's that's kind of fun and and that wraps itself up in a in a weird way. The um you know, the allegory for Roger's son and his divorce and then subsequent reunion with his wife and his locating of his son is is really stretched past the point of breaking. But it's it, it's <laughs> so immaterial ultimately so minor to the bulk of the movie that it it doesn't matter we know that he gets the happy ending and has confronted his guilt or his fears or his demons or his you know ptsd and th that's not how ptsd works but that's definitely how movies in the mid 80s work as proven by this movie's success so it um this movie actually came out against pretty in pink Right? Can you imagine? Fucking Pretty in Pink. And IMDb has it coming in just under Pretty in Pink in the box office. It was a knife fight. And that is frankly amazing, but uh, times were definitely different back then. You know, and the, and the song Pretty in Pink was not written for the movie. This is a, a bit of a tangent, uh, by the way. And it means that um, the, the meaning is a bit more adult than what um, the, the movie might imply or when tied to the movie. But it, it's just such a great song. The psychedelic first had their own whole thing going on forever, and I dig it. Love My Way is definitely my shit. Speaking of music, the music in this movie is surprisingly good. It actually makes the movie kind of scary to me in places. And this comes from the fact that Harry Manfredini is the composer for this film. And if the name isn't, isn't quite ringing a bell for you, it's notable that he's done an actual metric fuck ton of work and a lot of it in the horror genre but the most famous of it the most known probably being the friday the 13th scores there's a lot of tie-ins here because not only does manfredini tie in friday the 13th but also the director of this movie steve minor who directed friday the 13th's two and three was working on a godzilla 3d movie with fred decker when the idea came up for Fred to do house. That's why he got Ethan Wiley involved. And when Wiley produced a script almost instantly, they just kind of fucking took it to Minor to see what's up. Minor worked with Friday the 13th producer Sean S. Cunningham to get the house franchise going. Minor also knows exactly what movie he was making, and it shows. This movie could be accused of taking itself too seriously almost never. You know what? That's fine. That's okay. It's honestly more important that everyone decided on a goal and and moved together to reach it rather than making a half serious half goofy disjointed production that ends up looking like a mess to the audience not to say that there isn't a tiny bit of this in the in the movie there's maybe a tiny bit but for the most part it's kind of everybody's on the same boat uh, sailing in the same direction on the same sea so ultimately this is House, a horror comedy that doesn't really hit for me personally on comedy. And, you know, it hits a little more for me on horror. 
but it's the most for me in my, you know, up my own ass overarching metaphor that, you know, surprisingly still made it into the movie. But this was also part of my formative memories. Uh, some of the earliest kind of non-cartoon things that I could think of was watching like House and House 2. I'm not going to say that I dislike House because it it's, wouldn't be completely accurate. I, I don't dislike it. But I won't say that it's great or, or even good without the caveat that it, it knows what type of movie it is. And it doesn't really compromise on that at any point. You know, if that's what you want to sign up for, you, you will not be disappointed. Last year, audiences everywhere thrilled to a terrifying film about the horrors of home ownership. House. Now, there's an all-new house. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. With brand new owners. Charlie. Huh? Got it. And it's getting weirder. Look! It's a prehistoric bird! I got you, Jess! I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Gramps. No. They're in for more trouble than they ever imagined. You're gonna kick the door open, run in there blindly, and I'll cover you, okay? Guy with the big gun goes first. House 2, the second story. This place gives me the creeps. House 2, the second story. Pun intended, I guess, since this is very much a separate story. It takes place in a house. Yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's the tweet, as the kids say. The house has doors that take you places, like uh, alternate pockets, time travel universes kind of thing. That's the movie. I mean, pretty much it's, it's more of a comedy if you can dig that. And I like it less because of it. However, this one is to me much more memorable and, and has a shot that I've seen in my dreams for years. This movie, although overall is just dissonant to me, nothing, nothing feels like it quite lines up. It starts out straight horror goes into a relationship comedy with Bill Maher of all people ugh, and then ends up a horror movie again with all types of gags and things along the way. It definitely feels like it was, it was fun to make, but on the receiving end of it, I don't know that I have the same enthusiasm for it by the numbers house Two, the second story was released August 28th, 1987 and went on to hit 2.5 million on opening weekend. It cruised to 7.8 million overall. Uh, Wikipedia says that the budget was 3 million and that feels possible, but also it has just so much more stuff than the previous one. So it's questionable. Uh, this one was, if you remember, both written and directed by Ethan Wiley and produced by Sean Cunningham. And as such, it does feel like a good time movie in that the people who were making it wanted it wanted to make it so that they could get paid to have fun. You know, like Ocean's 12. This is definitely some Indiana Jones shit. 
uh, Crystal Skulls are not only a vodka, but also a hoax perpetrated by people claiming to have found these mysterious Mesoamerican artifacts. This was definitely popular in the early to mid-1900s and, in a point of fact, is appropriate for the updating of Indiana Jones movies to have a crystal skull as well as Aliens since it was set in the 50s. I wouldn't say that the rest of this movie is Indiana Jones shit as it's, um, uh, it's a lot more like my science project than any Indiana Jones movies. Um, I did an episode on my science project a little while ago. You can see it in the feed and it's another one of these Saturday matinee movies from my youth, but both my science project and house two are these weird kind of fever dream adolescent adventure fantasies that are. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull adjacent, which is, you know, kind of itself its own brand of adolescent adventure fantasy, but prorated for the 30 and 40 somethings that grew up on it. And I will take it aside to say that I hate being part of a target demographic. I'd call it an assortment of fun ideas on a board. And then the only rule was to throw nothing away. I know that seems mean, but I don't mean it in a way that's as mean as you might think that I mean, I mean, it's it's what one would call a cult movie or perhaps more appropriately a cult classic since while this movie does have some type of pre-Columbian death cult in it, the movie doesn't really revolve around cults per se. And uh, I've always found the term cult movie to be interestingly ambiguous. There's also that Indiana Jones part, uh, you know, where they save a woman being sacrificed in Indiana Jones fashion. And there's also just the weirdest resolution to this movie. And I want to find some kind of through line, but I'm I'm just not coming up with it. You know, maybe this movie has something to do with your found family because Jesse loses his family, but he never knew them. And, And hey, maybe that's a big thing. A lot of movies do that. The Fast and the Furious does that. There could have totally been a franchise off of John Ratzenberger's Bill Towner by the way, like a, like a warehouse 13, but for adventurers and they need to bring back George went, you know what? And, and let me tell you, it looks like John Ratzenberger can, can swing a sword. And I kind of want that movie. Maybe if I get into an Einstein's bridge situation, I can, I can definitely, you know, get, get this some legs on it. But John Ratzenberger is the best in this movie. The absolute best. The rest of the movie is, is not the best. Bill Towner is the best. Bring back George Went. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Airy Gross is, hey, that's that guy from that thing I've seen before, and plays Jesse, who is the baby inheritor of the spooky house with the ghost cowboy. This home, wonderful views, ghost cowboy included. The character of Jesse doesn't matter. He doesn't. He, he's just something for the rest of the movie to happen to. It was required of a movie to be made and then exhibited at the midnight. He's like, this was a requirement. It had to have a main character. And Jesse is the main character, and Jesse's everything is pointless. His parents died. He hadn't gone to the house for 25 years. He doesn't care too much about it. It's almost like he didn't even know it existed. He didn't know what the hell happened. Uh, Did the people who raised him just lie to him his whole life? I mean... Maybe, but we definitely don't go into that. We find out nothing about that. 
Jonathan Stark plays Charlie, the goofy tall friend, and he's funneling in some fucking, he's summoning some big time Jim Carrey energy. And it's actually pretty okay. The character of Charlie isn't great, but he's not the worst. Stark is out there doing things. I mean, he's working. And again, it feels like the pieces don't quite line up in this movie. And Stark could have maybe been a highlight in another movie, you know, versus appearing in this one. At least, you know, how it ended up being put together. There are a lot of incidental appearances as well. And even one of the main characters, Gramps, the zombie great-grandfather, who is played by Royal Dano, uh, also doesn't matter. Amy Yazbek, who I find to be a delight in everything, is in this movie playing Charlie's girlfriend, plus aspiring recording artist, and also doesn't matter. Lar Park Lincoln is in this movie playing Jesse's music producer girlfriend, and also doesn't matter. There are a lot of characters that don't matter and a whole hell of a lot of time spent on puppets who also don't matter. It's a movie made up of many Jar Jar Binkses. It isn't all bad. It isn't all bad. There are a couple of gags that land. And for me, one of those is the large pot at the end of the driveway that keeps getting knocked over. They never show somebody like complaining about it, but it keeps happening. I think that uh, they do it four or five times, and I like that each time. But I'm also an idiot. Harry Manfredini came back for music on this picture, and it's definitely spooky house sounding. Uh, Slim, the ghost cowboy, uh, was, and I guess still is, uh, uh, scary to me. Perhaps, you know, seeing this as a child just instilled that in me forever, but zombie cowboys kind of freak me out. The iconic scene that I would see over and over and over in my dreams or, or nightmares or whatever the case was, Jeff, Jesse falling or jumping through the window into the darkened western street to have his showdown with Slim and his ghost horse. That scene has been kind of recontextualized in my dream brain and mixed in with Hitler jumping through the window in the, the Danger 5 show. And it's a whole mishmash that fucking doesn't make sense. But I mean, hey, I guess that's life. I wonder if Ethan Wiley did successfully make the movie he set out to make with this. It's definitely something. It's, it's something. It's maybe too many things, as a matter of fact. Uh, the original house was comparatively razor sharp with precious few characters in comparison to this movie, which has um, party scenes and a lot of good-looking extras among the excess of stop-motion, uh, you know, costumed stunt performers and puppets. It definitely felt like an ambitious, if uh, ultimately misguided, follow-up. In Italy, it's known as La Casa Sei, which is part of the La Casa franchise, which is a bunch of rebranded and disconnected movies, which is already what the house series is in the United States. So yeah. Some people like House 2 better than the original, and I can, I can only say that they are very different. I don't know that I particularly like either of them, but they do exist in, in the weird pocket universe that is my brain, and I have yet to figure out a way to get them to leave. Hey everybody, Mark D here, IT guy, dad, and generally bad movie nerd. And I'm outside. I'm outside, and I'm just recording a thing. It's uh, sprinkling, the fucking animals, the birds are just popping off. There's noise, all types of noise, but hey, it is what it is. 
it is a cool but overcast day and uh yeah i just wanted to mention a couple things i had realized that i didn't uh i didn't do my normal stuff so here it is and i also wanted to point out um i'm not trying to be mean about these movies i just i don't like them all that much i don't think that they are all that great they're just in my head all the time so i may follow up with the uh the next two sequels because they seem perfectly awful and maybe sometimes i get a little too self-serious so it's nice to just um have fun with it so to speak also working pretty hard on on the pre-production aspects of the uh james bond podcast uh james bond episodes slash james bond podcast that i will be putting together at some point soon again that will be all guests i won't just sit here for you know one and a half hours talking shit about a james bond movie i'll have somebody to talk shit with so to speak and you know i'm kind of working on some fancy ideas and stuff like that so it's been taking a little longer but uh you know things have been busy so uh always a contention for time when you're my age i love that they're grinding metal also at this time of day for no reason it's just a great day to do that somewhere probably hundreds if not thousands of feet away from me but i can i can hear it i don't know if you can so that's in progress a, a little bit that's why i did house one and two because i knew that a lot of my time was going to be caught up in pre-production things for james bond so there's that and uh yeah um you know as always you can find me on twitter at cool mark d cool with a c and mark with a k and uh mark d20 on letterboxd so that's mark d mark with a k and the number 2020 i i couldn't get you know my normal mark d i'd figured that i could get mark d on letterboxd i didn't think it was that popular but apparently there's other mark d's out there and uh really it's a hot like that username's hot so you know if you see a, a website with mark d available let me know i'll sign up for it whatever it is and and i think that this begs uh not begs i don't know that it begs the question but it um it definitely opens up the the topic of discussion for horror as a genre good horror bad horror what they call thesis horror what they call uh, camp horror maybe I don't know that I have a, a very strong feelings about it, any of those particularly but um I know that I, I generally do not gravitate that's not the the genre that I go for and you can tell I think I've talked about this I think around Halloween time 2020 those episodes that came out I talked about this a little bit but I um I don't really uh, watch horror movies all that much. It's not that I don't... It's not that I avoid them. It's some some of them I do find scary. Um, but I don't know. They, just, they don't speak to me normally. I've definitely had more recent experiences with, I guess, more of the uh, thesis horror or the up-your-own-ass horror 
like Hereditary and Midsummer, which were wonderfully made, uh, beautifully acted, and uh, meticulously crafted movies. And, uh, you know, I did like, um, God, not the Annabelle one, but the first one with them, The Conjuring. When I saw it, I thought it was a good movie that happened to be scary and, and things like that. But, um, you know, my camp kind of, for the most part, started and ended with Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, that kind of thing. I don't go for it all that much. Uh, I don't watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's boring. So, you know, just in addition to kind of satisfying my own uh, curiosity, my own memories, you know, like assuaging my own quest for knowledge because I half remember things. You know, it was interesting to go down this route, to travel down this road again, so to speak, to use a very cliche cliche. I remember House 2 very differently. For for one, I don't remember uh, Jesse and Charlie being so fucking useless. I remember it a little more focused on the transportative or transdimensional aspects of the house. I remember it like people walking through a door and going to a place, not like this weird, goofy puppet quest that I, I just witnessed. Of course, I was, I was a kid when I saw these. I was something like, you know, six to eight years old, maybe, somewhere in there. So it's been a while, and it, it was probably edited for TV as well, so even more heavily edited than the already PG House 2 was in comparison to House 1. So I guess ultimately my curiosity was satisfied, but um, I didn't see the movie that I wanted to see, I guess would be the weird way to put this. It would be strange, I think, to, to put it that way, but that's uh, that's basically what happened. I didn't see the movie that I wanted to see. So ultimately unsatisfied with the experience, but hey, it's done. And here's the recording, and here is a podcast. But yeah, they uh, they changed some flight path uh, rules during the uh, you know the COVID times, and uh, there's just fucking airplanes flying overhead all the goddamn time now. Because it's like, ah, we don't care about residential areas anymore. So yeah, there's that, and uh, makes for bad outdoor recording. But hey, here we are again, just hanging out in the backyard. But yeah, that's it. Just uh, be nice, stay safe, wear a mask. Black lives still matter. And uh, just just try to remember, everybody's human, as shitty as some humans maybe. But be nice. Try to help out where you can. See ya. And I actually just want to throw out a, a recommendation here. And I, I think subconsciously I was influenced a little bit in my decision. But I've been listening to, on occasion, because again, I don't go into horror too much, but I do like the works of uh, Joseph Fink, and especially in uh, when partnered with Cecil Baldwin. And they have a podcast called uh, Random Horror Generator number nine podcast, I believe is the name of it. 
but random number horror generator is the um, operant, uh, the operative part of that that title, and they just kind of roll some dice, literally, and they have wonderful guests, and they figure out by rolling dice what movie they're they're going to watch next, or if not, they just uh, speak about the movie amongst themselves. Plenty of movies that I haven't seen that I have, I guess, seen by proxy through them. And it's a it's an interesting perspective, especially on a, a genre that I'm mostly unfamiliar with. So check that check them out wherever you find podcasts. <laughs>